You're listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number 83, Workplace Marijuana Drug Testing Advances. Our discussion in today's episode with Buzzkill Labs. Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. One important key to success is self-confidence. An important key to self-confidence is preparation. Arthur Ashe. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting. And this week, we have a couple of uh, guests on. It's been a long time coming, gentlemen. I've been wanting to have you both on for a while. Uh, our schedules finally uh, coincided so I could bo- get both of these gentlemen here to talk. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, these gentlemen are with Buzzkill Labs. And I, I want to introduce both of them here in just a second and have them tell you a little bit about themselves and, and about Buzzkill and what they are and what they're doing, what's exciting about this. For all of us in the drug and alcohol testing industry, um, there's a lot of things going on. And, and I think you're going to find this episode to be uh, very informative and you're going to want to reach out to both of these men uh, about what they're doing. Uh, it's pretty exciting. So first off, I'd like to introduce the CEO of Buzzkill Labs, who is Jeff Heinberger. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate that. And then uh, the CTO of Buzzkill Labs, who's George Farquhar. How you doing, George? Good to see you. I love your glasses, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, guys, the, the big thing that's going on right now, and, and, and you know this more than anybody else, is the struggle that employers are having with marijuana. Uh, it's something that has uh, crept into our society it's always been part of our society, but it, now it's being accepted on such a large level um, that it's starting to impact a lot of employers. And with the business that I have, I'm constantly in contact with employers that are, are feeling frustrated. Uh, they, for the most part, feel bullied by their own employees, which is amazing to me. Um, they're always seeming to want to have an answer of how to deal with not only impairment in the workplace, but how to deal with individuals that feel entitled to come to work and to use marijuana and how they can best, you know, be able to detect this stuff. Uh, Now with me doing drug testing, I can offer that, but there seems to be a, a feeling that we want to be able to narrow this down because one of the things that you hear about from from the pro marijuana groups is you know it, you're you're picking on people that are medically able to use marijuana and then people are using it recreationally you're singling them out you know because of what they're doing and it's not fair because you know it can be in their system forever i had somebody come in here to my office and this is going to make you laugh came into our office was worried about uh, coming up positive on a marijuana test, they gave us synthetic. And when I talked to this person, they said, well, look, man, I, I used this from the time I was 15 until, you know, up to a year ago. And I know it's going to come up positive. 
So there's so much misinformation out there that I think fuels a lot of this. Um, so I'm hoping that one, having both of you on here, you're going to be able to talk a little bit about what, what you do, what's coming to the market, what's exciting about what you're doing, but also be able to dispel some of these myths that a lot of employers hear. And some of our, even our drug and alcohol testing, um, people that are listening to this, even maybe some MROs that are out there because we've all dealt with it for so long and sometimes understanding the mechanics or, or how things go with this is really needed right now. So with that, Jeff, can you do me a favor? Uh, just give a short uh, introduction of yourself. Let people know your background, a little bit about Buzzkill Labs. And then George, if you would do the same, that would be great. Yeah, we'll do, Chuck. Thanks, Thanks for that, uh, teeing it up that way too. Um, so I've been um, in the life sciences, medical device world for more than 20 years. I, I prefer not to state how many, but <laughs> and it's been with large players, um, Abbott, Roche, Agilent Technologies, and also some smaller players that were subsequently acquired or startups, right? And um, and so through that through that process, I've seen um, various segments evolve over time from usually unsophisticated levels to then more centralized lab-based testing to then decentralized testing for various things. I've seen it in uh, blood screening products and diagnostic testing, infectious disease. We were commercializing product earlier in my career into forensic DNA analysis right out in law enforcement. And so what I see in this drug testing path right now is that there are tests that are available locally, but those tests now are facing a situation where there's a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Right. Where, like you said, it used to be zero tolerance for for marijuana, and now that no longer applies, both legally within certain states like California, Washington, and several others, where there's language in there that says you can't use metabolite testing to discriminate against employees. And and we are now moving from uh, the place where I'm reaching out to people and saying, "Hey, we're Buzz Collabs. Here's what we do." To people are now reaching out to me a lot, a lot based on. Uh, either things like this, a podcast like this, or LinkedIn information that we post and saying, hey, tell me more about what you're doing because I'm stuck. If I keep testing the way I'm testing now, I don't have enough employees. If I drop the test, my workers' comp insurance companies tell me they're not paying my claims. So that's those are the kind of things that I'm getting. Um, the way I got introduced to uh, Buzzkill Labs, I knew the former CEO and, and he introduced us. And then um, I came in and met with George and with one of our key investors, did a consulting agreement for a few months. We kind of felt each other out. I was really impressed with, number one, the chemistry that we had, but number two, also the intellectual property that George and his team had crafted around the the, uh, product that we use and how we actually tease out just the parent compound THC, which is really hard. I'll let George elaborate on that. I appreciate that, Jeff. That was impressive. (laughs) And so, so then we decided, hey, let's go give this world. And two years later, here we are getting ready to uh, launch product. Awesome. George, how about you? Yeah, so I'm CTO of Buzzkill Labs. Uh, I have a PhD in physical chemistry. Um, before leaving the uh, for the startup world, I worked for about a little over a decade at Oak Ridge National Lab and Lawrence Livermore National Lab, uh, doing counterterrorism, uh, explosives, bioweapons, chemical weapons detection. Um, so this is a very different business. The, the, what I like to say is eight years ago, I had a no escort required badge in the Pentagon. 
And now I bring people into the lab, administer cannabis under our institutional review review board approved protocol and uh, collect saliva from them. So you just never know where life's going to take you. Yeah, I got kind of goosebumps when you start talking about the anti-terrorism and all that other stuff. Having been a law enforcement background, I, you're speaking my language, man. I understand that stuff. Yeah, so, it's a it's a very different than the drug drug world, that's for sure. It, it is. So what what got you into the 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 history of the story of Buzzkill? What what brought you guys together, and what was the main consensus why you're doing what you're doing right now? Well, let's start off with the the origin story. So when Buzzkill started, when cannabis was legalized in Colorado and California, I was absolutely fascinated with this cannabis market. First time in my lifetime, something has changed, you know, a multi-billion dollar market changed from illegal to legal overnight. And I really wanted to see if there was some place for me to be involved in that. Um, I didn't want to be on the plant side. Um, I mean, it's called weed for a reason. It grow, grows pretty well. Um, and, I, and I just didn't think there was going to be a lot of uh, interesting things in the retail and dispensary side. And so uh, with my science background, what could, where could I fit? And it just, as I did a little research, it became unbelievably clear that we needed to have a test that was uh, more recent use. And so that's where it came, came from. And uh, talked to a bunch of other really smart uh, chemists I know and came up with a plan to do this. And I threw, threw a little bit of money at it and then, uh, got the first test data. And uh, after that, we were incorporated. So it's, uh, it's just a really fascinating. And it's been fascinating to see how it's it's evolved over the past few years as well. I mean, it. I think when we first started, there were lots of conversations with people like, oh, this is going to go away. Pe- people are going to realize how big of a mistake it was to legalize cannabis. And that is absolutely not the conversations that we're having anymore. It's everyone believes this is going to be here and it's going to continue to grow. Absolutely. George, I think, uh, and Chuck, I think one of the interesting stories that, that George can tell is the crossover between the former life he explained from his, you know, looking for terrorists through signatures and how that led <laughs> him down the path that we're on now with Buzzkill, particularly sample type and other things. So yeah, George, that'd be good. Yeah. So I um I actually ran a project at Lawrence Livermore um for DARPA, uh trying to identify terrorists through breath analysis. Oh, wow. So we went out to Fort Irwin in the Mojave Desert and we built a whole bunch of IEDs and uh, we collected breath samples from the guys that built these things. These were actually explosives that were captured in Iraq and shipped back to the US. So these were not even US explosives. And interestingly enough, we were able to detect the explosives in breath if the um if the, the the explosive had a high vapor pressure, we were unable to detect low vapor pressure explosives in breath. <laughs> and w- what's really interesting is the low vapor pressure explosives have a very similar vapor pressure to THC. So that's where my world of uh, counterterrorism, national security, and cannabis all overlap on my very unique Venn diagram. Wow. So I think it became quickly apparent that oral fluid was going to be the sample type of choice going forward. And it, and it makes all the sense in the world for that. And then the question became, how do you how do you do this in terms of teasing out that parent compound THC from the hundreds of cannabinoids that are in there in a way that's reliably going to pick up just recent use? Right. You know, and that's that's interesting. It's kind of a, a great intro to going into exactly what Buzzkill Lab is, what your product is, and how it works. 
And I've got to tell you, it's a product that everybody's screaming for. And I, anybody that's listening, and you as well, uh, both of you have, have heard all the different um, needs that employers have. A lot of times they're, they're wanting to know right now, is that person, is it in their system and are they impaired because of it? That's the bottom line that they're wanting. Um, there's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of different tests. There's a lot of different um, things that are being pushed right now. I'm not going to get into any of those because I, I started looking into a lot of those things and I didn't see anything that sparked my curiosity with my background of impairment detection and and how those things work because I, I, I've been well enough versed. I'm I'm not to your level, George, but I understand a little bit because of my involvement, having done this for over 30 years um, and how the, the semantics of things go and um, how marijuana works, what it does, what it doesn't do, alcohol, what it does, what it doesn't do. And the big thing that we hear is they want you to compare ma- marijuana to cannabis. So they want to treat it or mar- they want to treat marijuana like alcohol. There we go. They They want to be able to use that. And demonize alcohol, which, you know, I have no love for that and I'm not trying to promote it, but you're talking two different drugs that do two different things to the body that are eliminated from the body in two separate, totally different ways. And um, that was the frustration I had. And we had a mutual friend that introduced me to you guys. And and after the conversation we had for 45 minutes, I knew I knew what you were on was exactly what we need. So. With that, I want you to be able to tell people about your product, what it does, and how it works. So whoever wants to start with that, let, let's get this party started. I, I, I think think I'll first go at it. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, George, if you want to if you want to take us down that path. All right, I'll start then. Um, yeah, so what we do is we collect an oral fluid sample, saliva sample. We have a little chewy collector. Uh, that helps stimulate the saliva production. We need about a milliliter of saliva. That then is uh, pipetted into our disposable cartridge. That cartridge measures out the the um, saliva and then pushes it through two orthogonal types of chromatography. So the first chromatography separates out the Cheetos, the metabolites, things like that. Um, and the second form of chromatography separates out the THC from CBD and CBN and, and other cannabinoids. At that point, we then take an image of the plate and we were able to identify the presence or absence of THC. So it's pretty straightforward, t- completely automated. Test occurs in under 10 minutes. I mean, sorry, under 15 minutes. And um, we've got some uh, some really great IP around it, and uh, it's makes for a very fun and interesting workplace. That's for sure. Awesome, Jeff. What do you need to add, or what would you like to say here? Well, I think um, like we were talking about before, there's a lot of people hearing about oral fluid. It's beginning to take more and more share of the market as people recognize it as you know an observed sample collection. Much a lot of benefits to the versus urine testing. Um, but what I think a misperception out there is that oral fluid testing alone gets you where you need to go with recent use. And so what we're seeing is there's a lot of tests out there that basically employ the same kind of lateral flow strips that you'd use in a urine test in oral fluid. And even if you read the package insert of those products, they're much more sensitive to metabolites than to parent compound. And, and the cutoffs are fairly high. And so 
What we've been doing is bringing to market this test under the idea that method matters, right? Because oral fluid sampling alone helps, but then the method of detection that you use within that oral fluid, it really matters. And so we're bringing lab-based high quality chromatography to this site of collection and, and testing. And so I think that's the key because you can get the same quality of results by sending it to a lab, but then you gotta wait, right? And for a lot of these decisions, if you're if you're post-accident, if you're reasonable suspicion, even, even if you're looking at a pre-employment testing, I mean, having to wait for a period of time might mean you lose that employee, you lose time, you have to pay for time. Uh, insurance claims are jeopardized in some cases. And so there's a lot of reasons why I think both the sample type, the method, as well as the timing of the test are the, are the three stools to that, to that uh, or three legs to that stool. I would agree. I think it, the, the timing is crucial. And, and I guess that brings me into my next, my next question for, for both of you. We Look, we've been doing marijuana saliva testing as long as I've been doing testing and even longer than that. Um, one of the things that we know with saliva t uh, testing compared to the urine testing is the detection window that we are, that we're getting as far as, uh, a, a positive or a negative on that. What makes buzz kills saliva device for marijuana different than any of the other devices that are out there that are currently being used. And, and like what I have right here in my office right now, what makes it different? What makes it stand out? Yeah. So there's several things that make it stand out. So we have a test that works. It only looks at THC Delta 9, the parent psychoactive compound. We don't look at any, we don't have any cross-reactivity with metabolites or CBD. And so we're able to pinpoint the intoxicating compound. Uh, that's really important. We have a, a great detection limit, um, which is lower than lateral flow in other devices. Um, and we get a window of detection from about 48 hours, um, four to eight hours. Four and to so eight that, hours. Wow. Yeah. And that depends on a lot of things. A person's metabolism, um, how much cannabis they consumed. Um, you know, I knew some people in college that probably would have tested positive for a little longer than eight hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, if someone takes a small amount of edibles, it's going to be a shorter time. People with, who've just eaten something, uh, it's going to take a little longer. The other thing that we do that's really important uh, to distinguish our product, the vast majority of our in-house testing is with edibles. We have edible data that we're willing to share with people. And a lot of competitors only show data for smoking. Why that's so important is 50% of the market in California is for edibles. Mm -hmm. And edibles are way harder to detect. The concentration, the peat's concentration is lower, and it's very difficult to do that. You know, here in Colorado, people would rather use the edibles in those products because of the high THC levels. We've seen THC levels are like 99% THC. I mean, for crying out loud, when I was a police officer out on the streets, if we saw 6%, that was, that was flying, man. These guys were getting high as heck. The THC levels are so high now that we're starting to see other things that are not something that was traditionally thought of with marijuana impairment. And that was people having audible and visual hallucinations, psychosis, all these different things. All of a sudden you have a drug that people were taking because they thought it was going to mellow you out. And the only side effects you were going to have is wanting to eat moon pies and drink Slurpees, man. But now 
you have that. And, and that has got to, like you said, George, affect the detection of this and how long it's in your system. But I think you hit on something that that is something that I hear constantly from employers. And, and maybe you guys can clarify with your product. And, and this is why I felt I feel that what you have to offer is exactly what my employers, what I'm hearing from them, it needs. And that is, I don't care. This is what they're saying, not Chuck. Okay. I don't care if this guy has to smoke the smoke this last night because he's got to go to sleep. I don't care what he does on the weekend. As long as he comes in here and he can do his job and he's not impaired. I think that's their biggest thing. And now I know that your device isn't going to, is not an impairment device. It's not going to say that they're impaired. It's going to be able to detect, you know, the THC in their system at that time and and what's in their system at that time. The other is going to be up to an employer. It's going to be up to me. It's going to be up to somebody else that's observing this person to see the impairment that's attributed to that. Them noticing that first is going to trigger us coming to that employer with this drug device. And so I think your detection window is nothing that I've heard from anybody else. And I, and I think that's probably what we need to discuss a little bit about is, you know, when you have an employer that they just want the person coming and doing their job and they want to make sure they're safe because when it's all said and done, they're the ones who are going to answer if this guy gets in an accident or, or somebody gets hurt at work. So how how does your device kind of give some peace of mind to these employers that are dealing with those worries? Well, you, you got a whole bunch of questions wrapped up in that one, Chuck. But I think uh, I'll start on this and let George chime in. Um, I, I think you're right that I'm old enough to remember, you know, Cheech and Chong days and when I was in school, you know, it was low potency weed and you would know when somebody smoked because they smelled like it, right? Mm -hmm. Now you can have somebody walking into work with a pack of mints in their pocket that have THC potency that blows away anything that existed when I was in school, right? So I think that dynamic is a lot different for employers now. And I think they're starting to recognize that. Um, what you do about that is really interesting. And what we've done is partnered with some consultants in the industry too, to help make sure that employers are comfortable with how they're writing their policies. Because I think one of the things that, that we recognize is we dovetail into policies. And so as long as your policy states that, and it depends on the state as to, as far as the regulations go here, but as long as your policy states essentially that, uh, positivity for, THC parent compound recent use or workday use implies actionable that action can be taken by the employer, then you can be, you know, have some comfort legally and from a liability standpoint that you can take action. And that's the kind of result that we produce from the test. So I think it's important that employers and the and the TPAs, frankly, that are uh, servicing employers are helping them make sure that their policies are aligned with the tests that they're performing. Um, so I, I think that's a really important factor there. And as long as that takes place, it's very interesting the conversation we've been having with employers because I find it all over that there are various concerns. One of them is I want to make sure my work my workplace is safe because I've got a lot of safety sense of jobs. And 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 we toured a, a place like that with you and, and your team out there, Chuck. A um, lot of safety sense of jobs, and they want to make sure nobody gets hurt, right? But they're also faced with what you also said. I don't care what they did over the weekend. 
I want to make sure they're not high at work, but I need a test that tells me that. And, and they've been really struggling with that. And one of the employers we talked to, and I'm sure several are thinking this way, told us, when we implement your test, we're going to use it as essentially a marketing tool to attract employees. Because if employees indeed know that, yes, we do drug testing, but we do it fairly. And so we don't care what you did over the weekend. We just want to know that you're that you're not impaired when you're at work. Um, exactly. And so I think a lot of people are looking at it differently. Some are looking at it as, as an employee retention and attraction method, and some are looking at it as a safety method. And really, it serves both purposes. Yeah. George, you want to have any comments on that? Yeah, it's a... Uh... The whole thing is pretty interesting, especially with the switching from, you know, the illegal state to the legal state. Spoke to an employer several months ago um, who was in the construction industry. And he's, you know, my guys, when they get old, they hurt. They really hurt. And, you know, I, I'm not, he wasn't pro cannabis, but he said, you know, I don't want them going home and taking opioids, mm -hmm. um, getting prescriptions for hydrocodone. And I don't want them going home and drinking all night to try to make some of that go away. And, and cannabis seems to be a reasonable solution. So it's, it's kind of interesting how this is changing. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting thing to follow. That's for sure. So how does, how does this device work? If I'm to, um, get called out to like the employer that you were talking about, Jeff, and they call me out uh, to perform, you know, testing regardless of its um, pre-employment, um, reasonable suspicion or post-accident. Right now, I, I guess one of the things we need to let people know is this isn't like oral fluid for DOT is coming out. DOT has not um, identified a oral fluid device that they're endorsing for DOT testing. Your device, as far as I know, I don't know if you're going through any trials or trying to see if that is something that could be utilized or not. Um, but um, that is that is the main concern right now. So this device isn't doing that. We're talking about employers that are not necessarily DOT employers. Now, the DOT employers that I've talked to that are like waiting for me to have this so that they can utilize it. They can still test with this device, but they're going to have to do it like what you talked about earlier, Jeff, under their their policies and procedures where they can do a non-DOT test under that policy, you know, for everyone at that point uh, to test them. Yeah, and I think, you know, work non-regulated workplace testing is the bulk of the market, right? DOT testing is actually a fairly small percentage of the market. And we're really focused on that uh, non-DOT testing right now, because you're right, even though DOT approved oral fluid testing or authorized that through their rulemaking, they still are uh, working with labs to identify confirmation labs. There still are some hurdles to get to the point where we could do decentralized testing. So they could use our device, but they'd have to use it in a lab, which defeats a little bit of the decentralized testing purpose. So there are some steps to go before DOT testing can be accommodated by our device. But the vast majority of the market is non-DOT testing. And so that's what we're going after. We do intend to pursue in conjunction with DOT the ability to do that testing, but that's that's a little bit down the road. Okay. Yeah. So how does how does the device um work when I go into the the employer and I go to conduct a test? What would a collector do with an individual that were in their testing? What does that look like? Yeah, so I'll handle that one. The um, the uh, the test uh, 
administrator would enter the information that that employer wanted into the system, uh, employee name or number, um, take a sample collector out of a sealed, sterilized um, bag uh, container, and then hand that to the individual. And they would chew on a, a kind of a chewy bulb that we have, and then spit into a kind of a, a funnel-shaped collector that is that bulb. Uh, within a few minutes, we'll have uh, more than a mill, uh, milliliter of fluid, and some of that will be retained for uh, secondary uh, confirmation testing. Uh, about half a milliliter will be pipetted into our disposable cartridge, and then that cartridge slides into the instrument and the operator hits go. There's a couple uh, manual steps that need to be done, but the prompts come up on the screen. Uh, a valve needs to be open and closed. That in our commercial product, that'll be eliminated, but right now we're going in our early access program with that, with the manual valve. And then um, you wait 15 minutes, no operator uh, intervention needed whatsoever, and it pops a positive or negative out on the screen. So it's really straightforward, no technical skills required. Uh, some very basic, simple operations need to be accomplished. So once that collector receives a, a what we would call a, um, you know, a, unconfirmed positive or a, a you know a specimen that needs to be confirmed it would then be sent to a lab for confirmation is that correct that is correct okay so we will have a confirming product but that's next in our product development line okay yeah now part of that sample is retained for confirmation testing just like it would be with other devices yeah okay cool i i like the idea of being able to have that instrument right there being able to test and so that the employer knows pretty much you know as soon as you put it in there what what we're looking at and i think that's what a lot of employers are looking at they want to know right now they're not wanting to wait three or four days to find out if the person was positive when they're yeah. dealing with the situation right now yeah and, be, and because we've taken a very similar methodology to the to the labs we expect a very high percentage of the non-negatives on our platform to confirm. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's different than what you see with some of the, particularly urine tests right now. It depends on what confirmation you're doing, but we're working with the confirmation labs now to make sure they are confirming only parent compound and not metabolites. Okay. And what's talk about the difference in that and what you're talking about there. If people don't understand that. Yeah. Jo George, you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so we're delta nine THC is the main psychoactive ingredient in cannabis. Um, then you have uh, CBD is another compound that people take, and they take hundreds of times more CBD in many occasions to help with aches and pains and whatever they think CBD does. Um, and but CBD is a very similar molecule to delta nine THC, and what it does is cross reacts on many of these tests. There's a cross reactivity of sometimes it's you know twenty to thirty percent. And so because the concentration of CBD is so high that people are consuming, you'll get false positives on THC. I've actually done this myself and uh, consumed CBD, and it took about three days for me to start testing positive for THC. Uh, the metabolites are really important as well. So as the body processes the THC and eliminates it, so someone ingests the, the THC, goes into the bloodstream, they're high. And then the intoxicated and, the, and the, the body starts to process that and eliminate the THC from the body through metabolism. And so the THC is metabol metabolized out and then that is transferred eventually out through the urine. 
but the metabolite causes people um, to test positive on these tests that have cross-reactivity. And all lateral flow devices have cross-reactivity. You'll see it even in their own uh, device inserts that they're re reactive to metabolite and CBD and CBN. And we uh, exclude the metabolite from our tests. So the, the first test is captured through some, what is some really basic chemistry. And it's not allowed to go on to the second stage of our test where we quantify the, and where we look at the, the THC uh, concentration. So George, with the with the CBD, um, I have right now ten drivers who have had to go through the SAP or substance abuse program because they came back positive on a THC test, and these, or this was a DOT test, they came back positive on that, and I've had these guys come in and swear up and down that it was because. They were using CBD, even bringing in the containers. And I, I guess this is for my clarification, too, um, because I've, I've told them, I said, look, our, our labs are not testing for cannabidol. We're not looking for CBD. We're looking for THC. And even though that product is saying it's THC free, there is no approved extraction method in how these guys are having to do this. It's all up to how they're doing things. But I've told them, I said, you know, if it's coming back, positive for THC is because your product has THC. Even some of the inserts have said that there are, are, you know, minute amounts that are still in there. And I've told them it's kind of like decaffeinated coffee. There's still caffeine in decaffeinated coffee. I would assume it's the same with CBD. And if you're coming up positive, that's because there was actual THC that was actually well, detected. Well, there's two things that happen. One is that there can be THC in CBD products under federal law. It can be up to 0.3%. Yep. There are actually many companies that are selling CBD with labeled with the highest federally uh, legal amounts of THC in it. So they're intentionally um, making sure the THC is high enough so people can quote consume CBD but get get intoxicated from the THC. And so that's because they're getting the, the feeling that it's working that way. Is there, they're feeling the THC? They're not feeling the CBD, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So um, that's one problem is that there can be THC in CBD and most CBD has some THC in it. But the other problem is the, C this, the, the CBD molecule is so close to THC. Um, if you're using a device like a lateral flow device, it uses an antibody that kind of, it's like a lock and key system. So you can think of the, the, the drug going in and it fits in and unlocks the antibody and binds to it. Well, we've all had a, a key that's just a little bit different, right? And you jiggle a little bit and it goes in there and the lock opens. Well, that's what CBD is. So CBD can go into those antibodies mm -hmm. and um, bind and cause a positive test. The metabolite can also go into those antibodies and bind. And in many cases, these uh, tests actually have a higher reactivity to the metabolite than they do to, to the THC itself. <laughs> Also, the CBD metabolite, because the CBD metabolite isn't similar in shape to that um, THC paranoid, you can get cross-reactivity from the CBD metabolite as well. So there's a lot of different factors that can cause a false positive um, on those type of tests. But we eliminate the CBD metabolite, the THC metabolite, and we separate out the, the CBD. So we're, we only look at the parent compound of delta-9 psychoactive THC. And so that's totally different than what 
some of the current devices that are out there right now do. We, we believe we're the only technology that does this. Wow. And Chuck, it's, we live and breathe this stuff, so we throw out a lot of terms. Uh, it's referred several times to lateral flow. Yeah, That's the technology behind these strip tests. Whether yeah. it's in urine or oral fluid or whatever it is, that's that's a technology. We use chromatography to differentiate. Yeah. And I comment about lateral flow. Lateral flow tests are amazing if you're checking to see if someone's pregnant or if they have COVID. But they're not 200 near neighbor pregnancy hormones. Um, you're As we know, you're either pregnant or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and I I guess, George, in... The reason why I was asking for that clarification, I, I just got back from um, a short trip out to another state and stopping. I stopped at a truck stop and they've got all these CBD products right there at the cash register. Edibles, you know, uh, elixirs, the whole works. I even saw energy shot with it in there. And I'd ask these guys, I said, do you understand that you're I watch truck drivers come in and they're buying this stuff and I'm standing right there and I'm like going DOT's come out with a, a, a notice that basically states that if you come back and say my positive result was because of my consumption of CBD, they're not going to buy it because of what they understand right now with it. How do we address that kind of stuff with, with employers or even these guys with the confusion? Is it, is it just through the education of coming out with understanding of like products that you have and what they do, or how do we tackle that, that giant? Because I'm, look, I'm, I'm seeing, we have more dispensaries in Colorado than we have Starbucks. If you can imagine that they're everywhere. Okay. I'm CBD is so readily accessible. And the perception is, is because it's being sold at like a place like Sam's club or, Walgreens or whatever, that it's safe for them to consume and that they'll pass their drug test. So how do we how do we combat that kind of a a thing that people so are I, seeing? From a science standpoint, I, I always like to compare what we educated people to do about alcohol. So start in the beginning because we do a, the presence of THC versus the absence, and a breathalyzer also does not say impairment. A breathalyzer at 0.08, a 16-year-old first-time person is on the floor, and someone who chronically drinks is probably okay to go down to the corner grocery store. But the law says it's 0.08. So I think that's really important. We do the same kind of thing. Is it there or is it not? And I, I believe the majority of people think that if they drink a bottle of cough syrup, they're going to get a DUI if it has alcohol in it. And we need to educate that as well, especially on the 0.3% THC that's present. Um, part of this is, you know, the feds have quite honestly messed this up. They they restricted a lot of the research. So there's a lot, lot of really crazy research out there on what impairment is. Um, and then there's a lot of people claiming that, you know, they're not impaired. Um, and it's of all the scientific fields I've studied and the, the different testing de technology, there's more garbage and confusing information out there um, than anywhere else. So once, and I think this is inevitable, the feds are going to flip the switch on eventually legalizing this. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and it's it's going to happen eventually, leave it up to the states. And at that point, NIH... Um, and NSF will be able to do some really rigorous studies on 
on the effects of cannabis, the effects of CBD. Um, we don't even have any really great studies out there. If does CBD actually affect your joint pain? It does um, anything that it says it does. Yeah. It's, so it's one of these really, it's just really crazy. You know, this, it's, uh, this, you know, we're just going to let the States do whatever they want to, but we actually need to spend some money on this and get some smart scientists out there uh, to solve these problems. Cause these problems, I'm going to be honest, they, they are hard to figure out. Um, especially with so many cannabinoids and different mixtures, it's a it's an extremely challenging problem. Yeah, I, and Jeff, you've been here to my office in Denver, and I've got the FDA right across the hall from me, and I talk to the the guy that's there all the time, and and it's just as confusing for them as it is anyone else, especially dealing with CBD, because technically they they could they could go and shut it all down right now. Obviously, obviously, they could do the same thing federally throughout the states right now that have legalized, but they don't have the manpower, the ability to. And that's why a lot of times, unless there's something that's very blatant or something that is really a risk to the public that they need to address, they're really not doing that much with it. Um, and, and frankly, from from a Bosca lab standpoint, we don't take a position on legal cannabis. Yeah. Position we take is we see it as inevitable. Yeah. It is coming. I think the federal government has seen it that way as well, no matter which administration is in office at the time, that, you know, what's the bang for the buck in enforcing on a federal level when the states have made decisions about how to allow you? So I, I agree with you totally. I think that where your product comes into play is, you know, look, alcohol is legal, but Obviously, they can test for it in the workplace at any time. I have some employers that even pre-employment tests for alcohol, mm-hmm. which, I, you know, they're few and far between. But uh, there's some employers that they're wanting. It's kind of like what I've told people when they don't want to test for marijuana anymore and they're non-regulated. And uh, they, uh, they're they like, well, you know, we're afraid we're not going to get any employees. And I said, you know, there's nothing that's regulating you saying that you don't have to hire this person. So. What is it you're pretending not to know? Because when they have a post-accident or you have a reasonable suspicion, you're going to want to test for it. And it confuses the employee where it didn't matter when I got hired, but now it matters, you know? So that is, that's the demon that we're dealing with. And and quite frankly, if if people are using it because they feel that it's going to be something that's going to help them medically, then, you know, God bless them. You know, if that's what they feel they need to do, then do it. My problem is, and, and what you're doing with your product is, is we're trying to make sure that you're safe to be in the workplace, that you're not harming somebody else or the public or anybody else. And and I, I kind of feel that's kind of how where you guys are at, too, with this. But um, I can't put words in your mouth. So <laughs> you I'll, talk I'll on comment that. on that. I think um, so. As Jeff said, Buzzkill, we are neutral as we're not pro or anti-cannabis. But I would hope 100% of people, it's probably not true, but I would hope 100% of people do not want to put their kid on a school bus with a driver that's high. And we need a test so that we can prevent that from happening. Because there's, you know, right now, um, there's no deterrent. Uh, And that's really what there needs to be is, hey, if you do this um, and you're, you're putting people in danger, uh, you need to have a good test. And, And I was, I always think about, you know, how many safety sensitive jobs there are out there. And as a kid, I grew up and my parents were in the grocery industry. 
And we consider grocery stores as consumers as the safest places that you can go, right? Your kids can run around and there's really no hazard there. Maybe you'll get hit in the back of the heel with a shopping cart. Um, but when you think about grocery stores from an employment standpoint, there are knives and bandsaws in the in the meat department. The bakery has oil that they fry chicken in and hot ovens. Um, and then you got carryouts out in the parking lot collecting uh, grocery carts that people are backing out of their stalls. And you don't want any of these people high. So there's, I forgot to mention the forklift drivers, but there's tons and tons of safety sensitive jobs in a location that any normal consumer would go, oh, grocery stores are totally safe. I let my kid run around all the time. Um, but from working this, the work, the employer standpoint, there's a lot of hazards and a lot of, a lot of people get hurt. Yep. Yeah, it, it, I think you make an important point about that kind of gets to the purpose of drug testing in the first place, right? Because I think people who are embedded in this and who have experience with this for a long time would say drug testing programs are for deterrence. That is what they're for, right? Nobody thinks you're going to catch everybody with either random testing or with, you know, reasonable suspicion testing. But what we do say is putting this type of program in place sends the message that, hey, it's important to have a safe workplace. But I think what employers are telling us now, particularly in legal states, is we want a safe workplace. We also want it to be fair. Fair to both coworkers, fair to the employee who's being tested, and fair to the employer. And what we see, I think, as it becomes legalized is if you're testing for past use, you don't know if the person's high or not, or if you just get rid of testing altogether, neither one of those scenarios is really fair to the employees or to the employer. What we see as a fair thing is to say, yeah, there's a test available and we regularly test for it that says if you are impaired right now or likely impaired, if you have the parent compound in your system to a level that we think potentially causes impairment, then that's an infraction and we can take action, action on that infraction. So we think that is a really reasonable place for employers to come that's legally defensible and that, uh, you know, helps them eliminate liability, but also have a workplace that that people want to come and be an employee. I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And that was, that that's quite honestly, everything that you've talked about in this podcast today is is the reason why I wanted to be uh, involved and to be able to um, not only promote what you guys are doing because I know that it's something that is so direly needed, but because it's it's proven uh, effective what you're doing. Um, George, in, in concluding, can you talk a little bit about the some of the um, trials that you've done so far with this product and and what um, if you yeah, can some, the, some of the results that have come out from it. My my biggest conclusion is it's really, really hard to work with high people. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> well, you give them a moon pie and a Slurpee and they're happy. Come on. Oh, no. Some of them wander around and <laughs> you got you to gotta keep them safe and make sure they get in their Uber. Um, so, yeah, which is very different than when I was working in the Pentagon. That's for sure. Yeah, um, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do, we have an institutional review review board approved protocol for the administration of cannabis. So that's how we ethically treat our human subjects correctly. So we, we um, bring people in. Um, you typically in the evening and we administer edibles. Uh, typically that's 7.5 milligrams of THC, which is a pretty small amount. And the reason we picked that number is... In California, a candy bar can't have more than 10, 100 milligrams of uh, overall THC. And one square 
the sub squares of those candy bars, you know, like a Hershey bar, can't have more than 10 milligrams. So it's 75% of a California standard dose. Um, we then collect, and uh, I guess before we administer that, we collect an oral fluid sample to make sure that they don't have uh, THC in their system, uh, which interestingly enough, some people have shown up high. Um, and then uh, 45 minutes into the test, we collect an oral fluid sample, and which, uh, which shows elevated concentrations of THC in the saliva. Now that is conducted on our technology, but we also verify that with the gold standard GC mass spec. Mm -hmm. So that's what the same technology that would be used in a laboratory when you send it out. Collect another sample at 90 minutes. Uh, we typically buy them dinner and um, every, we Uber everyone home. We wanna make sure everyone gets home safely. And the next morning we Uber them back and so they can get their cars. And we collect another sample the following morning. So uh, the following morning, everyone so far has tested negative, but the 45 and 90 minutes, all but one sample at 90 minutes has tested positive for THC. And so that's uh, really important. And the interesting thing is the, the one woman who didn't test positive at 90 minutes was uh, just no other way to describe her as skinny as a pencil. And it wasn't because she had an eating disorder. I mean, she ate a huge meal for dinner. It was because she had a screaming metabolism. Yeah. And so she burned through that THC a lot faster than other people. And that also indicated with her kind of her verbal responses as to how she felt. So she was intoxicated and then it went away. Um, so very, very interesting results. Yeah. And Chuck, I think it's important to, to talk about how we're conducting the testing because there's a lot of data out there on things like spiked samples where it wasn't a real sample. They spiked in some THC or uh, testing just on smoking, as George mentioned before, or even vaping, which is a lot easier. The testing we're doing, it's it's using edibles and there are small, you know, little mint versions of edibles. And also we're feeding them and doing things during the process. So it's a very real world test. And that's how we wanted to conduct it to make sure that what we had is going to work in a real world environment. That's awesome. Guys, I am so excited about what you're doing. I, so I are we. tell you, and I hope that uh, our listeners to the podcast are as well. I could probably sit here for days talking to you guys about this because you're speaking my language, man. But um, I, I need to honor your guys's time. And I'm so grateful to have both of you on here. I want to give you the opportunity to just anything in closing that you would like to say before we wrap up on Buzzkill and what it is that you're doing. George, you want to kick that off? Yeah, you know, for me, from my perspective, it's really interesting um, because my career has been, you know, federal government, counterterrorism, and now I'm in the drug testing industry, but I'm still doing something that I consider kind of in the, the public good and for national security. So it's really strange how that uh, that crossover has occurred. And uh, it's kind of neat to be able to talk to former police officers and employers, but with, uh, you know, a little bit of a background on uh you know, counterterrorism type work. So it's, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's a fun transition. Yeah. And I, and I think Chuck, from my perspective, for me, it's very exciting because it, it's a very unique time in a career where the industry trends, the regulatory trends, the market need are really coming, converging around the path that we're on that fortunately George and his team chose five years ago is it seems to be the right path. And they're all seem to be coming together at the right time. Of course, we'd like to have product available now and we're moving rapidly toward that. But um, it's a really unique opportunity, I think, for us to be able to really solve a problem that is out there right now for both employers and employees 
And frankly, it's not just in states that are illegal. It's states where marijuana is still illegal, but they're seeing use go up dramatically and they're seeing it in the workplace more. And so we want to be able to go in and give them a solution that says you don't have to give up good employees to make sure you have a safe workplace. And so I, it feels really good us being able to go do that with some really interesting and good and protected proprietary technology in a way that we can also build a successful business. What's the best way for, I, I know right now with the audience that we have that listens to Clearing the Haze, I have everything from uh, collectors and, and uh, people that are out in the drug testing world. We have MROs, we have employers, we have a lot of different individuals that have listened to this podcast um, that just today when I put out that I was going to talk to you guys, I'm getting emails and everything else about how excited people are about this what is the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want more information about this? And I'll make sure to have that in the show notes and everything else for people to be able to follow up. Yeah, appreciate that. I think, you know, people can always reach out to us. We're at buzzkilllabs.com and there's a way to contact us through the website. Of course, you can put out our contact and my contact information as well. Um, I think one of the best ways, frankly, is through LinkedIn because we tend to post updates and put out information, both industry as well as what we're doing. Uh, via LinkedIn, of people who are users of LinkedIn. Um, we are uh, launching a new website in a couple of weeks. And so, you know, that will will get better and better at keeping people updated um, as we as we roll out that information. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy if you want to post my contact information too, Chuck, and have people reach out directly. Okay. We can definitely do that. Yeah. Well, in closing, I, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge both you, Jeff, and George for what you're doing. I, I think that to be able to take on uh, the, the, the mountain of <laughs> what, what this is causing for employers with um, the pro marijuana groups, I'm sure that you've probably been attacked by some of them um, that you're hearing from people that, that think that this is just, you know, a flash in the pan type of thing. But I want to I want to acknowledge the hard work that you guys have put into this. Um, I, I've had you both talk to to clients um, to be able to explain what's going on and then hear your personal stories that go along with that. And I and I think that that is what really helps resonate with a lot of these clients is that they feel um, that you both care and that you're wanting to help them. And I think that that comes through crystal clear, at least it has with my clients when I've been there with them. Um, the other thing is um, your willingness to to talk about this stuff and to do so not candidly, but just to be able to answer questions. We didn't plan on any of the questions that I, I gave you today. And uh, as people see and hear on, in this podcast, there was no hesitation with either one of you to talk about this. So I would highly encourage you, um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, to reach out to Jeff and George over at uh, Buzzkill Labs. They're great people. they got a phenomenal product that's going to change our industry, and, and it's going to give our clients and others that help and that tool that they're looking for to ensure that they're having a safe workplace. So I want to thank you both for that. Well, Chuck, I want to thank you, too, because I know doing this podcast is not an easy thing to squeeze into your incredibly busy schedule. I realize I know <laughs> some of the audience, 
But uh, <laughs> so I want to thank you for doing that too, because I think it's really important that word gets out about what is going on in this space, because it is awfully confusing sometimes the mishmash of information that people have available. And I've got to give a, a shout out to the team because without uh, without the fabulous team we have working on this, working hard, just putting in the hours to get it done, um, we wouldn't be here. And Marcus, Katrina, and Karen are just amazing people to work with. So it's it's really nice to uh, have a team, and uh, Kevin as well. Um, but who's pulling this together, doing market research, and doing just analytical test over analytical test in the laboratory. So it's. Uh, <laughs> It's it's really a lot of fun to work with great people. I'm, I'm surprised Jeff isn't wearing glasses too, with all the stuff you've had to analyze and look at. You know? <laughs> I still fake it, Chuck. <laughs> well, well, guys, I am grateful for you. I'm I'm thankful that you're able to come on and talk to our our uh, our listeners here at Clearing the Haze, and I look forward to having you back on, on a future show because I'm sure that we're going to have other requests to have you guys both on. So thanks for being here today. 